Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Nächstens der jetzt in dieser Sekunde Ander Gucci's und Tor! Good evening. Labour's overall majority looks like being three. Mr. Wilson has called for a united country beat the economic crisis. Mr. Heath called on Labour to abandon what he described as divisive policy. Mr. Thorpe says the Liberals are not a spent force. Hello everybody and welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. This week with Jonathan and myself is David Winner, journalist and author of Brilliant Orange, the neurotic genius of Dutch football and those feats, essential history of English football. And of course, Dennis Burkamp's biographer, David. Lovely to have you on the show. This week we go back to the World Cup final in 1974. The Netherlands lost 2-1 to West Germany in Munich, of course. David, why have you chosen this match? It's it's one of the key moments, not just my football life, but my life, because the, the, the feelings that that match left me with when I saw it at the age of 17, and it haunted me. <laughs> to this, It has haunted me to this day. Um, and it led ultimately to me... Going, moving to Holland, writing Brilliant Orange, which was a success to my great, great surprise, and that changed my my career, um, and it immersed me in the Dutch, the world of the of the Dutch, mm-hmm. living in the Netherlands for four years. Eventually, I met most of the players from that from that game, um, most of the Dutch ones anyway, and um, it was it was personally huge and it was an extraordinarily emotional thing at the time because you know that it's it's one of the great cliches of football really that you know the beautiful brilliant original dutch of that world cup got to the final and then blew it mm. and there were all sorts of feelings about it at the time i just saw it as a complete tragedy and almost a crime which was how all the all, all the dutch people saw it as an adult as really very adult, adult. I'm now old, so I can look back <laughs> and and see that actually my teenage perception was quite quite skew if in lots of ways. Mm. I mean, it's perhaps one in in terms of where this game sits in football history, Jonathan. Probably one of the biggest ones we've spoke about so far on on these podcasts. Yeah, and I think you have to remember as well what the World Cup was in those days. Mm. That the World Cup then was a lot bigger than it is now. Not not in terms of the spectacle, not in terms of the number of people watching, not in terms of the amount of money agree. it makes, mm. but you know, the Dutch sort of seized, certainly in Britain, seized the public imagination 
you know, utterly. And yet, Ajax won the European Cup three years in a row. But those Ajax teams had not been seen in the same way because the European mm-hmm. Cup had nothing like the profile of the World Cup. The World Cup was the event where everybody watched. You got a huge audience. Um, and I, I guess 66, from an English point of view, had had, had uh, made that change you know, far more significant. So this is this is really when the, the wider public, not just football nerds, wakes up to what total football is. And also because England weren't playing in that World Cup, so we we had so, nobody yeah. to root for. So, so I guess you, you kind of had some interest in the Scots. They did their thing yeah, and yeah. went out gloriously in, in the group <laughs> stage. Um, that, that was also quite a kind of tragic... tragic. It was Scottish football, of it course was, it, was it was tragic. Was, it, was sort of the, <laughs> it was one of those template tournaments, wasn't it? That yeah. everything subsequent was a repetition of it. Which it, which is how it was for the Dutch as well. Yeah. Um, but I remember being quite emotional when the Scots went out and they, they played this game. Their third game was against Yugoslavia, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. And they, Yugoslavia scored late, and then Joe Jordan scored an equaliser. It's just oh, they just need one more goal in the last <laughs> few seconds, and they didn't make it. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't quite as um, I guess that those two those two threads crossed four yeah. years later. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> So yeah. for Scotland, it wasn't. Yeah. We're not here to talk Scotland. Move, no, let's move no. on. Sure, sure, sure. But but the, <laughs> but the Dutch, of course, uh, up until then, didn't really have any World Cup pedigree. The, the, None the, at all. The previous tournament they'd played in was 1938, and yep. so often people can miss that. You think of of the Netherlands as as one of the great sort of international teams up there with yep. with you know, Argentina and France and and you know one or two others. Or of course they haven't won the cup, but. Up until '74, on the international stage, yeah. hadn't done much in in, in terms hadn't done of anything. Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, they were on a, they were on a par with I don't know Finland or something. Now, yeah, yeah, they were, they were completely disregarded. Uh-huh. Nobody knew who the, who they were. Didn't know any of their players, and that began to change a bit. Um, but not wholly. Didn't nobody sort of made the connection when Ajax won the European Cup three years running and Feyenoord, who'd beaten Celtic in '70 in the final. Again, that was considered, that was a bit like Malmo winning it mm. or something. It was a bit oddball. Yeah. I mean, the, the, who are the these guys? The, Never heard of them. I guess the early warning was when Ajax beat Liverpool, put five past them. But, in but then, 66. But that was that had been forgotten, I think. And also Bill Shankly, you know, the, the great propagandist, sort of managed to make it out to be some kind of freak. Yeah, yeah. Well, it really wasn't. They, <laughs> they really were that good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah. But I, there was I, some weird circumstances. That game was played in, in fog big fog and... and, and yeah. It still counts in fog, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> um, you know, a large number of people in the stadium had no idea what the score was because yeah. they couldn't see. Know, and a large number of people in Britain had no idea what the yeah. score was because <laughs> European football wasn't taken that seriously. But Shankly's point was, you know, it was a reasonable one at the time. The Liverpool were, you know, that first great Liverpool team, and will overturn it in the second leg. Shankly said, and yeah, and they didn't, and they did not. Two two, two two, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's, but I mean, and, and yeah, the, the Dutch only. Yeah, there's a there's another world in which they didn't qualify for that tournament. Yeah. They came very very close to the game against Belgium. Um, well, you mean the in '74? They yeah, shouldn't have been in the yeah. tournament yeah. because the 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 final qualifying they both won all all their games against the other teams, uh, but Holland had a better goal difference. And in the last minute of the last qualifying game in in Amsterdam, I think it was Belgium scored a perfectly good goal, and was wrongly ruled offside. One of the great. If you talk to any Belgian, they still sort of <laughs> go on about that. One of the great sliding doors moments. It really was. It really was. They, uh, and, and then in 86, there was this kind of payback. Yeah. It was again a, like an unfair sending off. And <laughs> Belgium won it. That's I mean, yeah, actually, it's, it's, I mean, let's not spend too much time on it, but what, what would have happened if, if the Netherlands hadn't qualified in 74? 
Cruyff would have played in played 78. in 78. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. That, that's they the probably would have won the World Cup by now. Yeah. So, yeah, they've, yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the template would not have been laid down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and they may well have won it in 2010. We as would, a in fact, be so fed up with the yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> it is just as well they qualified for that tournament. Otherwise, the three of us would, you know, what would right. we talk it, about now? It would be as annoying as Man City. No, <laughs> you know, I'd well, like to distance myself from those comments. And... <laughs> but going into the tournament, yeah. David, what was the mood like in the Netherlands? Did, were they hopeful? Yeah, I, I, I had no personal knowledge. I was in London. Sure, I was watching on TV. I gather that it was. Fairly lackadaisical. Mm. They they didn't have any history in the tournament. It was a bit of a holiday. They didn't know what the team would do. There was no uh, total football from the Dutch team yeah. until that tournament. Um, so they, it they, had they, come from the Ajax team, which had then sort of broken up a bit because Cruyff had gone to Barcelona. But, 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 but Bayern had won the European Cup that year, so it all seemed to be a bit uh, broken. This great thing, mm-hmm. that this great moment of four European Cups in a row. They weren't expecting. They knew they had good players, but they didn't know how they were going to play. But it's funny, though, isn't it, John? You think about it, that you think of like maybe Spain 2010, you know, the Barcelona, a lot of their players playing for that same team. Obviously, Real Madrid were very good. So the Spanish going into that tournament, OK, they were European champions as well. I, I take that point. But you're thinking, hang on a minute, we, we've got a side here, we've got some players. The Dutch maybe not... But, but they were known. I mean, every... Everybody outside Spain knew exactly who those guys were. Well, true, but the Dutch having, do, and but Ajax, having, won, having won those European Cups... Yeah, Surely that, that, I mean, that translates. Cruyff had left in, in some acrimony and it was only getting together for the tournament that, you know, they became friends again and played. He'd, you know, when he'd left, it was, it was quite a bitter break mm. and the team had got knocked out of the European Cup in the first or second round uh, by a Bulgarian team. I can't remember. Um, and it all seemed to be over. And then they got it together and Michels came in as, as coach and then in a month, of preparation, he drilled them to a level that the Feyenoord guys and Rensenbrink had never even seen before. Mm. And he taught them all how to play in a very short space of time in the Ajax way, but even better because of Van Arnhem and Reisberg and, you know, these, these and Rensenbrink, these were all terrific players and probably a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, if Hulsof, the defender, had played, they'd probably won the tournament because that was a loss. He'd been injured. Right. Um, what if Blankenberg had taken Dutch citizenship as Cruyff wanted him to? How big a difference do you think that would have made? I don't know him. Langenberg? Blankenberg. Oh, Blankenberg. Yes. Um, well, he didn't. But it, <laughs> yeah. it, it would have been great. Yeah. You know, Blankenberg. Because I mean, he was obviously not never going in the, in the West Germany side. That's because right, Blankenberg, was, uh, yeah. But he, yeah, he and Hulsof were a fantastic combination. Yeah. Uh, I thought you said Langenberg. I'd never heard of him. But it's funny what you say about yeah. Mikkels because... That was one of the points that we were talking about when Andy Brassel was on the pod, uh, when Ajax beat uh, Panathinaikos 2-0 in the European Cup final, how when Mikkels left, a lot of the players thought, oh, thank goodness, that was draining. Oh, no, they were they were relieved. Yeah. Pete so, Kaiser was said to have danced on the table. <laughs> so, 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 when he, so when he comes into the Dutch side, as you say, in that short space of time, whip them into shape. Yeah, yeah. Mm. In a very, um, I mean, if it, was, if it had been, again, in a club context, it probably wouldn't have lasted. But because it was in this very short... Uh-huh short moment um it worked and then it in the final week it falls apart so there's again there's something i've it's it's not me who, who who discovered this it was um 2004 a friend of mine called alka cock who's currently writing what is likely to be the definitive biography of of Kreif. he wrote a terrific uh myth-busting book 
which was published simultaneously in Dutch and German, called 1974, We Were the Best. <laughs> and it kind of demolished the Dutch idea that they'd been innocent victims of German skullduggery by telling the story of, of that week, well, of the tournament, but mostly that week before the final, where the Dutch discipline had gone. They After they beat Brazil in what was... We, should, should we talk about the, the, the group and the two groups? Sure, and, okay. and then, yeah, then we'll deal yeah, with yeah. the... Yeah, the, the, that's what I'll do. We'll leave. That's a, that's a bit of suspense. Yeah, yeah it's a teaser. Yeah. Stay with us. Stay, stay, yeah, a little <laughs> peek behind the curtain no, and we're back on. No flipping. Yeah, well, there's the tournament it was a 16-team tournament. Structure very different to what we know now, Jonathan, wasn't there? It was, you, you had four groups that then went into two groups. Yeah, and the so, two so groups... top two go through and the two groups of four. When does those two groups play in the final? Absolutely. And the second, second team in each of those two groups plays in the third place playoff. Yeah, and, and, and the Dutch en route to the final look very good. They topped their, their first round group, of course. Yeah, and what's, what's remarkable... Given, given the lack of expectation, or given the lack of history in international football, given that that Michels has only only just rearrived, given all these doubts about are, is this team actually any good? Yeah, that first game when they beat Uruguay two 0 yeah. is so good. Yeah, that Sergio Macarian, who was a, a Uruguayan who at the time was working, I think in some delivery company, he was a manager at delivery company, and Sergio Macarian watching that game back in Uruguay was so struck by how far behind Uruguay, who obviously had won two World Cups, had fallen from, as he saw it, the best of Europe, that he quit his job, did a coaching qualification, and has since managed Paraguay and Peru. That's <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah. How old was he at the time? Uh, he must have been mid-30s, because he's 70 wow. old now. So, wow, blimey. Um, but yes. it, did, it did have, I mean, it was a revelation, and, and that game, the Uruguay game particularly, you look at, it's not boys against men, it's sort of aliens from a higher civilization against, you know, Stone Age man. It's so sophisticated what the <laughs> Dutch are doing. Yeah. And this thing that they keep, they catch not just sort of one or two, but four, five, I think even possibly six Uruguayans offside. Yeah. With the pressing, these crazy <laughs> um, high offside lines. How many of them were interfering with play, David? And it's sensational and the movement. And you can see the Uruguayans just looking bewildered. Yeah. And, and people genuinely had no idea how to deal with this. No clue. And I, you know, I know I've told this story before, but it bears retelling. So you know, they go through the group, uh, they beat Uruguay 2 0, draw 0 0 with Sweden, which of course is when Cruyff unveils the Cruyff turn. Or he says it was spontaneous, it wasn't planned. But anyway, mm-hmm. weirdly. Done that kind of move actually many, many times before. Yeah, but that's when but, people. But the, and the perfect and I, camera angle. And yeah. The, that's when it was popularised. Yeah. Um, and then they beat Bulgaria 4 1. Yeah. Uh, then the second group phase, they hammer Argentina 4 0, beat East Germany 2 0. And then in a really brutal game, a game that they. they you know, to get to the final, I think they needed a draw, didn't they, against Brazil? Yes. But they win it 2-0. Um, Ferocious fouling going on from both sides. <laughs> yes. Um, and Serbia started... The, the myth is that, that, that Holland started... Uh, the Brazil started... But it actually was Serbia. Because Brazil were overrunning them in the first 20, 15, 20 minutes. And he fouled somebody and they had a fight and that kind of broke the Brazil rhythm. Mourinho Perez, who was yeah, the yeah. Brazil <laughs> captain, um, actually knocks Naiskins out. Um, but I interviewed him back, what, so, what, as in clean out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know, he yeah. There's no concussion right, protocols. Who did? <laughs> Mourinho Perez, the Brazil captain, not knocks Naiskins out cold. I didn't know he'd been knocked yeah. out cold. I remember Pereira getting sent off with a thigh high. Yeah, yeah. Did you think Naiskin had dived? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean that the, they was. They were going down like nine pins because the Brazils, Brazilians just lost it. Well, and they were evidently, but uh, crazy. I, I interviewed Mourinho Perez. Um, yeah, a few years ago, 
Because he, of course, that summer joined Barcelona as Nations also joins uh, Barcelona. Right. And Barcelona managed by <laughs> Venus Michels yes. and with Cruyff already in the team. Yeah. Um, so that, they seemed to get over that very quickly. But the thing that he said was he couldn't get his head round pressing at all. Right. In, in Brazil, playing that high offside line was known as the donkey line because they thought it was just so stupid. Suicidal. Because you could just chip a ball over the top and somebody would run on and score. Mm, yeah. What he didn't realise was that if you press at the right time, so you, you don't press when somebody already has the ball. You press when the ball has been played. And so by the time the ball reaches the recipient, he's surrounded by two or three players who are in his face. He's got no time to you know to to measure the pass into the space. And he said getting to Barcelona and being taught to do that was just completely alien to no. anything he'd been taught before mm-hmm. uh, was a huge kind of culture shock to him. He said the first time he played the offside trap properly, he felt in training, he felt this great sense of pride. I mean, to look up and see Michael screaming at him going, no, no, go to the man with the ball. Don't stop halfway. <laughs> but that, that's how yeah, that's how radical it was. Yeah. It's, you know, the captain of Brazil yes. had no idea what was going on. Yeah. He, couldn't, he couldn't process his own mind. Mm-hmm. This idea of you would run not just 20 yards to play the offside, but another 20 yards to make sure the guy with the ball never had any time. To, to, to measure the pass. Yeah. And the, the pressing was not less in a sort of scientific way like, you know, Klopp, Klopp's teams do it. Or lots of, every, every team tries now to do it. It was hurtling, you know, three, four men on the ball. Well, and and was, more. I mean, there's some clips where there's seven or eight of them. It's a, Well, the f- four or five, six. We'll go up to six. Okay, we'll go up to six. Six <laughs> is my final offer. It's still a lot. I think we're going to And it is. And you can see um, on, on the video and, and the video highlights, somebody did... You know, the birth of total football, some videos from it was it condensed it down to like four or five minutes uh, about that Uruguay game. And there's sequences of four or five top six <laughs> uh, Dutchmen hurtling in on the guy. And if the first two, three wouldn't get him, the last one certainly would. Yeah. There was no way to escape it. And there was because they had no idea, never seen this before, they didn't know to unload. You know, pass sideways or backwards. Mm. Those options weren't on. Yeah. So, so it was. They were overwhelmed. Mm. And when I, because last night I, I put myself through the torture of watching that the final <laughs> again. And what's striking is that they do almost none of that. Yeah. Right. They barely get going. Absolutely. Well, let's have a quick break, gentlemen. And after the break, we will talk about the final itself. Back in a minute. Here comes the flanke, hoch vor das Tor. Nachschussmöglichkeit für Rentenbrink und Meyer hält den Ball. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Sieht jetzt das Goal auf Steil gehen und kommt ist der Ball bei Golov gelandet im 16 Meter auf Spitzerwinkel zum Tor. Da kommt der Ball auf Müller, der dreht sich um die Eigenachse, schießt und Tor! Tor durch Gerd Müller! Welcome back to Greatest Games, everybody. Now then, let's get to the final. So, the Dutch have, have been very impressive throughout the tournament, only conceded one goal, of course, on, on route to the final. They find themselves in the final um, in Munich against West Germany. And the, I mean, I suppose it's an obvious place to begin and it's the first minute of the match. The first minute of that match, David, is one of the most extraordinary minutes of, of football you'll probably ever see. Ever. Yeah. He's well, at- I, I mean, people probably know it as well as I do. You know, the Holland kick off. Yeah. Play keep ball. I think it's 17 passes. I counted it up once. He's so relaxed. So relaxed and the crowd are whistling. It's going on for about a minute. Mm. The Germans are nowhere near the ball and the crowd is going nuts. Very hostile crowd. Cruyff drops back. First he plays a side pass. Mm -hmm. Then it still doesn't go anywhere. Then he comes back again, picks it up, just goes on a a darting little run. Mm -hmm. Just like he's going shopping. There's no no effort in it at all. And he's gone past Bertie Votes, who later in the game will will kill him. Mm. But in that moment, he... He, and he, he goes past him very easily and is fouled on the edge of the area. Penalty. Naiskin scores the penalty. It's early Hernes who brought, brings him down. I, can't remember, I think it is yeah, Hernes. Yeah. It is Hernes, yeah. yeah. And it's not actually in the penalty area. It's right. just on the edge. He deliberately brings him down, doesn't he, Jonathan? If you look at that foul again. I, I, I saw it. I thought it's very high and very late. Oh, I think it's a foul, but I don't think it's inside the area. Oh, I'm sure. That's yeah, definitely right. up for debate. I mean, but... if you falls in the box, you can see why the referee oh, yeah. would give it. I mean, it's right on the line. It was, yeah. uh... But if you if you watch that again, I'm quite convinced that Hernes has deliberately chopped him down. So yes. it's, you think it's just a sense of, God, we had a ball for the, for the, for well, a minute. I... We've got to do something. Yeah, perhaps. I, I, but watching that back... Well, that he's was... through. Yeah, he's, he's, through, he's through. And I think in those days, you could do that. As we well, saw you wouldn't in... Get, you wouldn't get a red card. Yeah, of course, yeah. You, you could certainly... Yeah. Um, 
deploy those kind of tactics a little bit more freely than you could do nowadays. But it brings him down, and then penalties are given, as you say, Naiskin smashes it in. And it's... It's going to be 6-0. Exactly. It feels like, oh, he scored the seventh in a dead rubber in the first round against a a poor side. Yeah. It's, It's almost eerie. Yes. And it's fatal. Yeah. And that's the kind of tragic... That it's it, it's it's a wound that can never be healed. Yeah, but do you, do you tra- think it's it's like you know um, Jimi Hendrix dying or yeah, or, I know what you mean, or, or Shelley drowning or mm. you know James Dean crashing his car. It's it's a tragedy of the unfulfilled beauty. Mm. You know, because they and they and they completely relax mm. at that moment. And so, do you think the seventy-three European Cup final when they take early against Juve? And yeah, then it essentially. That- sat back and played keep ball and yeah, do you I, think that was in their heads? I think it was and I think even more relevant was... Ajax had, sorry, I should make that clear. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that was... Um, sorry, we slip between the two, don't we? But Ajax had beaten Bayern 4-0 in the quarterfinal, I think it was, of the European Cup that year in Amsterdam very easily. Um, and they had it in their mind after they'd beaten Brazil, we can beat the Germans, no problem. And the German players talk about in the tunnel, they had this fantastic arrogance feeling from the Dutch. You know, I forget which, which player says it. You know, he had the idea of, you know, the Dutch say, how much do you want to lose by today? They didn't say it, but <laughs> that was the attitude. Yeah. And the first minute confirms all their superiority feelings. Yeah. And they, it should also, I mean, the stuff that I was going to come and, uh, and tell you a bit earlier about Alka Cox's book, what he discovered in uh, about that final week before the final, yeah, they, mm. they were they were so unprofessional. Mm-hmm. They were living like rock stars. They were the the, the famous story of the swimming pool, yeah, uh, where the, Renus Mickles tried to did make it. Um, it was complete propaganda. On page seventeen or something of of Bild Zeitung, the, the the German equivalent of the Sun, but much less savage and untruthful than the Sun. You know, but the, in that in that context, it was sort of the the, the the yellow press had had published a story, I think from a stringer, about a naked girls swimming in the team hotel with the Dutch with some of the Dutch players um, during the week. I can't remember even what the time it was after the Brazil game, or before the I think after, um, and it was not a big story. And nobody really picked it up. And Michels made a big, big thing of it, saying that, you know, it's a German conspiracy to try and undermine us. This is a total irresponsible journalism. It's a total, total lie. All of this. And the, and the players and the Dutch media all were sort of complicit in spreading this story, which was nonsense. Sorry, the denial was nonsense because actually... So there's propaganda that there's propaganda. But it was actually the, the story very much underplayed what yeah. had been going on because they were like rock stars. There were girls around there a lot. Uh, not just swimming in the pools, and they were some of the players were smoking. The discipline had gone, and bizarre, Michels had left to supervise Barcelona in the Spanish Cup final on something like the Wednesday. Or the so Thursday. presumably Michels wouldn't have allowed that. I mean, his he wouldn't, but he wasn't is, there. So that yeah. decision for him to leave, is... but it's just kind of all the, the whole myth about you know they were they were they were preparing and they yeah, were yeah, yeah. They, they'd, they'd lost it because they thought they'd already won it. By beating Brazil, that was the hard game for them. But, I mean, this. Sort of... And I just said, sure, meanwhile, sure. The, the Germans prepared in a, a magnificent way. Typical fashion, yeah. Well, the, yeah, but I mean, they, they were professional about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And the sort of key tactic during the game, as it turned out, was votes marking Cruyff. And he did, apart from the first minute, he was very effective mm. at it. And um, Glanville, in his history of the, the World Cup, says he'd, he'd, done, he'd done the same thing to Cruyff in a youth tournament when they were kids. And that, uh, but I didn't know that. But the, um, the story I heard was that there was a practice game on probably the same day that Michels was in Barcelona or Madrid or wherever the game was played. The Germans had a practice game in which Gunter Netzer impersonated Kreif very effectively. And votes, their whole system was to give votes the platform for marking Kreif. And, and votes was sort of a noun as a great man marker, wasn't he? Because he, he, he man was, marks Kevin Keegan in 77. He was terrific final. at it. Um, and but, Keegan actually gets the better of him, but, yes, but, but he, he had a reputation game, yeah. as being the great man marker. Yeah. Anyway, and the first sort of half an hour of that, Netzer is beating him easily. And they'd stop the game, say, well, what's going wrong? What are you doing wrong? How about trying like this? So Netzer, who was at the level of Cruyff, who was the greatest player in the world at the time, was fit and didn't play in the final because Overart played. And that's a, whole, that's, that's a decision that kind of has ramifications for the whole of the development of German football because they went into the sort of machine football and percentages and fitness and fighting and all that, Kampfgeist. And th so that's a pivot moment. But they have Netzer, fit, who'd been the star, the midfield star of that wonderful team two years. When they'd beaten England before. at Wembley, the 3-1 in 72, then, he, then, he'd been the key to that game. Fantastic yeah. player. And um, you know, his own man, you know, slightly rebellious kind of figure, like a George Best, like a Cruyff. Obviously, they're all different people, but he had that kind of pop star image. And, he, and the, the management didn't quite trust him. Schoen preferred Overart. Anyway, they played this practice game and they perfected the marking plan and they put it into effect. And after this first sublime, extraordinary, otherworldly moment where the Dutch take the lead, in my memory and legend has it that the Dutch spend the next 20 minutes just making fun of the Germans. And I watched it last night and hang on, it's not quite what happened. No, it isn't. The Germans fight back almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. They're really up for it, mm. and they're pissed off. Yeah, and the Dutch are lackadaisical, and they don't get their passing going, and they don't get the pressing going. When they do have the ball, they're sort of noodling around with it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time, on that, they're just being pushed back. And in that first half, I don't think they have more than one shot on goal, apart from the actual goal. Yeah, Johnny Rep near when it's one-one. I, I I agree with you. I, I yeah, because in my mind, it's they go one nil up and then they take it easy and then knocking it about. You, you're absolutely mm. right. And then not... suddenly the penalty changes the flow of the game. But yeah, yeah that's that's, it's, that's it's not yeah. Really, yeah. And, and and also another thing that that I, th I think people might one can sort of think that Germany scored two goals late on. All the goals come in the first half. Yeah. Yes, there's yes, plenty yes. of there's plenty of time. Well, yeah. I mean, to well, turn this round. Yeah, and Rep really should equalise. He has a great chance. But I mean, let's let's do the. Sure, sure, no, sure. it's not. It's actually at one one. Well, when, so, he, when he misses that chance, when yeah. there's a ball across the box and he's just... No, no, you're, you're thinking of two different chances, I think. Well, yes. Yeah, because yeah. Cruyff slips him in one point, but then he's, there is he's, another he's one. He's coming in slightly from the side, but it's yeah. a chance these days would be you know, a scandal if you miss it. Yeah. And he, instead of putting it to the far post or chipping or doing something that any striker would do now, hmm. he just plays it rather limply. Yeah, we, we are talking about two different things. Yeah. 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 Well, okay, so so uh, let's just deal with the German penalty. Sure. So in a sense, that starts <laughs> with the immediate aftermath of a Dutch goal where Beckenbauer famously says to the English referee, Jack Taylor, having as he gives the penalty, You're an Englishman. 
while you're English, yeah, or yeah, you're an Englishman. Yeah. Because Beckenbauer... It's, yeah. it's a subtle bit of sledding. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Beckenbauer, I mean, he's sort of been slightly found out with what happened at yes. FIFA. I was yes. going to say, not the worst really, thing he's ever said, is it? <laughs> he's kind of... Um, there's a there's a worse was to come. There's, a, yeah, yeah. there's a cleverness about him yeah, in yeah. in the worst sense of that word yes. mm. that was largely sort of overshadowed by his image as a sort of gentleman of the game. Yes, mm. but he was um, sly. He he was sly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a canny operator. Um, so. But you can see him on the on the tape. He sort of comes over and he he sort of does a very unEnglish gesture of contempt for Taylor. Right. It's sort of he he doesn't just say he's he sort of does that. He, well, I'm, I'm raising my arm in a kind of <laughs> yeah. rude Bavarian way. Even in the, um, <laughs> not, but not that rude Bavarian way. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, in, even in that game in 72 at Wembley, there's an incident with the score at one, I know it must be early in the second half, when, I can't remember who he is, an England player burst on the left side of the box and is obviously fouled. And Beckham was straight in referee's face saying it's a dive. It's not a dive, it's clearly a foul. <laughs> but, but, Beck, but Beckenbauer sort of, whatever doubt was in the referee's mind, Beckenbauer managed to expand so that a really blatant penalty is not given. Yes. He was good at that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I mean, he would sort of try and conduct the game in more than one way, wouldn't he, on the field, yeah. from, from his team's point of view, from the, the official uh, point of view as well. So the, the penalty has a reputation as being slightly controversial, but I really well, don't in, think it in is. Holland, they, it, it's the defining, they call it, they call a dive a Schwalbe. Right. The, the German, the swallow, you know, mm-hmm. that is the German. And they, they say, that, you know, we never do that. It's mm. a German thing. And Holzenbein is absolutely fouled, but then he does make a meal. Yes. I mean, but, he, but he, Janssen, Janssen absolutely catches, catches him. His, his ankle. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there's any doubt about that, really. Is well, there? in no. Holland, again, this is part of the great myth that we were cheated. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and this, the, the penalty and the dive, the Schwalbe, was the kind of the. the the distillation of historic German evil against Holland. So it's like the uh, the invasion of 1940 and all the war crimes of, of Germany uh, in the 40s during the Second World War and the, and the Holocaust and all the and the hunger winter and all the humiliations. It was all in 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 the Dutch imagination. It was sort of distilled into that moment, and the fact that Gerd Müller's because he scored the winning goal a few you know 20 minutes later. Um, his nickname was De Bomba. Yeah. You know, so he more or less personally destroyed Rotterdam and killed all those people. So in the, you know, the the whole relationship that Dutch had with Germany and through that game, and it became this big, big national trauma because they'd never really talked much honestly about what had happened in the war. You know, there's whole, you know, because the Dutch, there was lots of resistance people as well, but also an awful lot of collaboration. And it was a very complicated, messy often very dark history which Simon Cooper for example has written about very very well um Ajax the Dutch the war that book um so th- that they're all projecting this onto this game which is just inevitable and, and a lot of people in England and around the world are doing the same thing you know, the Dutch have the image mm. of sort of the absolute good guys and yeah. the, the, the pure of heart and deed against the basically nobody says it but it's in the background oh these Germans they're basically when they say efficient, they mean Nazi. Sure. Uh, so that you've got that whole, all that sort of psychodrama going on, and it's really catastrophically unfair to the players, to the German players. Of course. They, they, nothing to do with that. 
Actually, it's a Brightness steps up to take the penalty. And I find the penalty quite odd the way it plays out because the keeper obviously sort of... He barely reacts. He barely reacts. Well, he, he starts to go to his left, doesn't he? And Brighton is still about three yards from the ball. So Brighton yeah. sort of wanders up to the ball and strokes it in the other he corner. He just calmly side foots it in the corner and raises his arms before the ball's even touched yeah. the net. It, yeah. Again, it looks a bit training ground. Well, it's, I think young Blurt had sort of just committed himself far too early and yeah. couldn't get back. But he does pretty much the same for Muller's goal. Yeah. He's, he he just sort of doesn't react. Yeah, no, he, he does. He does make a couple of very good saves. He saves. There's a really good save from Bertie Votes. Terrific mm. from Votes. I do, I do. And also he pushes over. There's over a free of, kick for Beckenbauer. Yeah. Chip free kick. Yeah. Of course, one of the quirks of the side, of the Dutch side, was the goalkeeper's. What is he wearing? Number eight. Yes. On his back because they they did the numbering system differently. Yes. Which which back in those. But days. But he's he's kind of the first sweeper keeper. Yeah. And he's explicitly in it. So kind of Kreif and Michels come up with it together. They don't have a line keeper, partly because the, the best Dutch keeper of the time, a guy called Jan van Beveren, is absolutely a, a, trash, a, a traditional line keeper, shot stopper, sort of dominates from corners and things like that. But he doesn't come out mm. in the modern style. The modern style is kind of, you know, Manuel Neuer and sure. everybody, every other goalkeeper you can think of now is kind of the descendant of right. Youngblut. Uh-huh. So he's picked in large part because he's like an extra sweeper. And he's good with his feet. It's like having 11 outfield players almost. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. But he's not that good with his feet. <laughs> yeah, clearly. And in the other games, it didn't matter because... They only in one goal. They weren't, they weren't, yeah, they weren't, they weren't too much. Yeah. So, so Germany so then kick on. Well, yeah, two minutes before half-time. Mm. Um, uh, Bonhoff, Rainer Bonhoff. So now, I'm, now I'm going to go into a post-traumatic stress. <laughs> well, just put your fingers in your ears for the next yeah. 30 seconds or so. We, we, we'll hold your hand through this moment then, David. Uh, cuts the ball back. And it's a, it's a it's really... A goal. It's a strange goal, but it's also a goal that I think shows what Müller was so good at. Oh, it's great from a striker's His first point touch, I, I still... I mean, I must have watched this a dozen times last night to try and work out... Is, is his first touch takes him away from goal. It mm. looks like an absolute mistake, And it? so when you first see it, you think, oh, that's a really bad touch. But then he somehow managed to, to turn his body, you know, short, kind of slightly tubby man, so he's got this low centre of gravity, short, uses his backside to kind of turn yeah, yeah, yeah. and drags it back across the keeper into mm-hmm. the bottom corner. Great finish. The more I watch it, the more I think he played that deliberately to create space for himself. But you see striker, I mean, Lewandowski's quite good at that, you know, in the more modern sort of reference, you know, sometimes having a touch away and then kind of wrapping his foot around it. I, I, I absolutely think he's done that deliberately. Yeah, I've you come know, to the conclusion he did. Being, but... a, being a short tubby striker myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and knowing that my touch wasn't that and good. And legend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hated by the Dutch. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do, because you, you, you think of Muller. I mean, that goal took him to, what, 14 World Cup goals, was it? It, it, it took him to the record. He, yeah, he, uh, he overtook uh, Just Fontaine Which obviously since been taken by, he, by he Ronaldo. Was t- it was... And closer. And closer, yeah. Mm. I, I counted up his record in the biggest games you can play in, which I defined as World Cup and European Championship finals, semi-finals and quarterfinals, mm. and European Cup finals, Champions League finals. And he paid, I think, fourteen of those, and his goal rate was one point four something. Right. <laughs> and Maradona's in the same would be like point yeah. four, and it's just. Uncannily, well, I, 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 I think there's a. a we, we've been talking a lot about misperceptions. I think he's slightly misremembered. We think of him as being just this poacher. Oh, he was the, and he was a brilliant poacher. Mm. But I mean, it's it's that game against England at Wembley that where he really stands out. Of he holds the ball up, he comes short for yeah, it. Yeah. He he's a fantastic, he's a magnificent forward. player. Mm. 
Mm. And he and um, Breitner said to me that everything because I did a piece about Muller and I I called him and it was kind of a bit through gritted teeth because (laughs) memory of 74. And he said a very generous and loving thing that he said, you know, all the success we had, everything, my whole career, you know, all, all, all all the things we won, European Cups, the World Cup, the European Championship, all of my success was not down to Beckenbauer, not down to anybody else, not down to Zetmeyer. It was all Muller. If well, he, if Beckenbauer hadn't been there, Blankenberg would have played for that's them. That's right. So. <laughs> no, they'd, have, they'd have been right. Yeah. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't quite as good as Beckenbauer, but he was yeah. good. He was good. Mm. And he said, you know, Muller was extraordinary. Whatever number of goals we needed, he would get them. Yeah. yeah. And he said it didn't matter what tactics we played. If Muller was playing, we'd win. If he wasn't playing, we wouldn't win. Yeah. I mean, who, who is it? So, what, Job Hankers was his backup, was it? Or? I guess. I, yeah. I, was yeah. he a bit younger? Well, Hankers on the bench in this final. So, so Muller kind of was partner and then replaced Uvizela. Yeah. So in 70, they were a fabulous double act. And then Rummenigge comes in towards the end of the decade. And then later, yeah. So, um, and I guess Hankers. Hankers, yes, yeah. Would have been. Um, or, no, Fisher was much later, wasn't he? Fisher was certainly there in 82, yeah. yeah so. David, when, when, when Mullard scored that goal in, in 74 final, am I right saying the Dutch commentator uttered the words... They tricked us again. Yeah, we are fooled again. They, they tricked us again. Right, okay. It become a bit of a catchphrase. It was um it was like a sort of you know, Kenneth Wollstenholm, they think they think it's yeah, it, it, it's that uh it's up for grabs now. It's one of those iconic yeah. moments of commentary and what that meant uh-huh. was the the war. Right. You know, they said, you know, we were neutral, they said they wouldn't invade and then they invaded. And that and that shows you how. And much... he, I, I spoke to Kalpoff about it. He said, "No, no, I didn't mean that. I just meant in the football sense." But nobody really? took it that way. Well, yeah, but they hadn't played that many times then, had they? No. Well, they, they had. There was a game in the fifties where, against all expectations, amateur Dutch team won. So and that was. So they, so they weren't from. Yeah. <laughs> so well, the, the, but it, it wasn't in a World Cup. It was just a, a friendly. Okay. Game. But that was very emotional for those who sure. saw it. So Germany two one up, and as we say, the Dutch. I mean, Germany, the, the, the German chance still had a few chances themselves, but the Dutch had chances. Jonathan, one that you alluded to. Uh, well, I think the well, three... second half is a, is, a, is a different story. Yeah, yeah. I think there's three really good so chances. So they go off and Kreif gets booked because he's arguing. Oh, that's with... right. Yeah. It, it's, really, it's half time. The whistle has gone. They're all walking off and he's picking a fight with Taylor. Yeah. And he gets himself booked. Just He was not at the races. He was His head was elsewhere. Nobody knows why. Mm. The biggest game of his life and he screwed it up. Yeah. Yeah, and and partly you know the 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 good play of of, of Bertie votes, but he's 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 not doing any of the normal things that Cruyff would do. Mm. It's extraordinary. Again, watching it, it's like there's no runs. He he drops deep sometimes to pick up the ball and then gives a little five yard pass to one of the defenders. I mean, it's it's not normal what no. he's doing. No, almost no. Apart from the first minute, almost no good runs. He's not directing traffic in uh-huh. any interesting way. It's really a terrible game he's having. Yeah, and in the second half, well, there's, I'd say three really good Dutch chances. So there's the the corner that Meyer gets his punch horribly wrong, mm-hmm. and Brighton clears it off the line. Heads it off the line, yeah. Uh, and then the one that I, I have to say I'd completely missed until I watched the game back uh, in the last couple of days, uh, when there's a ball to the back post from Van der Kerkhoff, and and Nation comes in on pretty much exactly the blade of grass where Mark van Basten scores the volley from yeah. in '88. Yes, he smashes yeah. the volley. Absolutely right smashes the, the volley, but the it's mistake, slightly nearer in. Sli- it's slightly closer yeah, in, but it's a. F- um, yeah, yeah, but smashes point. it straight at Admire 
Yeah. And my, I'm actually still a great reaction save to push the ball away. Because sure. yeah. he hits um, it with incredible force. Yeah, I mean, it, it, one of those, you know, Van Basten yeah. sort of slightly cuts across it, which is what gives it the loop and dip, yeah. which yeah. takes it over um, Dasayev in, yeah. in the 88 mm-hmm. you've been, you've been Championship final. Um, but it, I was sort of, it's one of those things where I was sort of, you know, had the game on, was sort of, my intentions started to drift. And part of me is like, oh, hang on, have I gone to a different... Is this, is this flicked forward somehow? <laughs> Time slip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the, the chance that... I'd never, I'd never made that connection before. Right, but yeah, it's almost right. so... Oh, yeah, it's, you're right, it's sort of six yards closer in, six yeah. feet closer in, but... Yeah, mm. but it's no, it's, it's, that, it's the same thing. And uh, again, from the left, it's across from the left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those Van de Kerkhoff officers. Yeah, and right. Rather than Muren, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the, there's the, the great chance that Rep has that there's a... I think, is it... There's a Van der Kerkhoff again gets down the right, pulls across. Full slid across, yeah. Across. Oh, that's right, and he just misses it. And he's it. six yards, six yeah, yards yeah. out, gets the touch, it and it goes across. two, three feet wide of the far post. Uh-huh. I'm not sure he even touches it, actually, but it, I think... I'm pretty well... I think he gets something on it. Yeah, he, I think... He might be at full stretch, but he gets something yeah. on it. But, but you know, time... Well, there's a Van Hanekom has a... He's just sort of wrong. He, he it's a header, a diving header, and he heads it straight that's down. Right, that's right. Yeah. Pace off. Not that there's much pace anyway, and yeah. it's a very simple. Oh, it just loops up, and yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And, and, my and there's another one where Renny van der Kerkhoff has a terrific chance, and he just it barely goes for a goal yeah. kick. Yeah, but use it right wide. But time runs out, and time runs out, and and again the pattern of play sort of for the first twenty minutes or so of the second half, the Dutch are playing properly. Yeah, and the Germans are getting worried. But they also break away, and Muller scores another goal, which is wrongly disallowed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's another penalty that they could have, where Holtzenbein again gets fouled or pushed or something by Janssen again. It did look like a foul to me, I have to say. Yeah, it could, it could have been 4-1. <laughs> yeah, yeah, goodness knows what Beckenbauer was saying at the other end, but my goodness, <laughs> uh, we can imagine. Um, but the game finishes, the West Germans win. And the anti-German feeling among the Dutch grows and grows because this is one of football's great rivalries. It and this, it, this is really... On that day. Yeah, yeah on, in terms of just football, yeah. this is where it's really sort of born. Yes. Uh, and, I mean, you know, the, the, as you say, there's a lot of anti-German sentiment anyway because of World War II, blah, 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 blah. But it's all kind of repressed. Yeah. So nobody says it directly. Mm. But it's absolutely soaked into every... Mm fragment of Dutch being. Yeah. That, that, you know, they, they were cheated. Mm-hmm. Bloody Germans, mm. basically like Nazis, but wearing white shirts. And, you know, the whole thing gets, it just boils away yeah. for decades. And I think it's, it's they've sort of, well, they've do, come to terms with it. I've, I've certainly come to terms with it <laughs> in a way that I thought I never would. Um, do you think Euro 88 helped? It did, but it obviously wasn't... Obviously beating Germany in, it, in the it, semi-final on their own soil and then winning the, the trophy in that stadium. In, in Munich. But it, at the time, it was the best thing that had ever happened and, and bigger street parties, the whole nation came out on yeah. the streets in 88 when they, when they went in. It was a weird exact mirror image of in the scoring, you know, a, yeah. a penalty, a dodgy penalty and a... Jod, uh, the German one is probably a penalty yeah. and the Dutch one really... Uh-huh. The referee should never give it when Van Basten goes down, but he yeah. gives it mm-hmm. and Koeman scores. So, and, and then in the last, a sliding across from right to the goalkeeper's right to left, very slowly going into the corner, like the, the Van Basten winner. The Van Basten's winning goal in 88 is yeah. like, you know, it's really uncanny echo of, of the Muller goal. 
And again, you know, the greatest centre forward of the day. Yeah. I was out in Hamburg. Yeah. 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 Am I right in saying that? Did Ronald Koeman sort of. He did. Yes, my, I know, I know exactly what you're going to say. You're going to say it. With the I'll say it if you don't, David. Yeah. So he showed his, you. His, his good mate, he swapped shirts at the end of the game with his, his mate, Olaf Tone. Yeah. And then he mimes wiping his ass with it <laughs> at the end of the game. And it's a horrible moment, yeah. actually. Because uh-huh. even less in 88 do the, do the German players yeah. deserve to be considered sort of ersatz. Nazis. Yeah, they didn't deserve it in in seventy four. No, they certainly no, didn't yeah, in right enough, yeah. But by then, the the Dutch kind of neurosis about all this had had, had developed to such mm-hmm. a degree where they felt free. I mean, Kuman's not born anywhere near the war. Yeah, uh, but he what? feels and he and there's this sort of tremendous self righteous yeah um, prejudice towards the Germans. So in Amsterdam at that time, it's very fashionable if uh, you know if German tourists who would come across the border for the 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 dope cafes in the uh-huh. campus cafes, and it was a popular day. If they asked for the central station, you send them to the Rijksmuseum. Yeah. You know, you, cool. you would take pride in it, right? As if you were a resistance fighter. Again, Simon Cooper's written very well about this. Incredible. Um, and meanwhile, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, through the nineties, and since the the first of all, the Dutch intellectuals are going, like, hang on, this is a bit, mm-hmm. this is not true. And Luda Jong, the great historian writes a book um which actually it's on english television uh, the world at war about the, the 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 war in the netherlands he's it's very much informed by ludi young's analysis which is much more about the the collaboration and so on it's a mm-hmm. it's an uncomfortable period you know and, and the the story of anne frank mm-hmm. you know she is um she's betrayed arrested and deported by dutch officials mm-hmm. um you know it's a much more Nuanced is the polite way of saying it, but it's you know it's it's, it's a difficult history. Absolutely, and, right. and projecting all this sort of simple black and white stuff yeah. onto this football game wasn't really fair. But of course, it gives it this incredible cultural, emotional, tribal weight. Absolutely, David. It's been fascinating talking to you about this game, one of the most incredible games in, in the history of football. I think we can agree. Thank you, David. It's been it's been a pleasure. Um, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. For more stories like this, do check out uh, the Blizzard. Of course, we're back next week with another great game from the history of football. We'll see you then. was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.